The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's check in with Annika Trayon, Managing Director, Head of the Competence Center at Van Lanschot Kempen. Uh, Annika, thanks so much for joining us. First off, what is the Competence Center? What do you guys do there? Hi, good morning. Well, what we do is um, bridge, bridge different expertise areas we have within our, within our business because we are a private bank. We're actually Europe's oldest bank. So we are a, we're a private bank. We're also an investment bank and have investment management, um, for institutional asset management, where we deal a lot with the big pension funds because the Dutch pension funds are very, very big. Yep. And bringing that all together to, um, to see what the biggest intelligence comes out of that all and see how that can be helpful to our clients. It's actually cool uh, looking at your resume. You've worked at some of the oldest and most important banks in the world. <laughs> Rothschild. You were at Rothschild. You were at Goldman Sachs. Um, and now you're at Van Lanschot. What are you focused on right now, Annika? I mean, there's so much to watch here uh, in the U.S. We're so concerned about the Fed and the macro picture. In Europe, obviously, energy and inflation is insane. Um, and then in Asia, we learned this morning there's another lockdown in China in a city mm. with 21 million people. Where do you look? Where do you look? I mean, there's, there's so much to look at. And I think, you know, the only thing you can do is keep it very, very simple. And, you know, the world's become obsessed with the latest inflation print. The world is obsessed with how inflation prints are reacting to central bank policy rates moving, which almost every bank is, every central bank is doing besides a few. That's, that's what's different this time around. And I think talking about keeping it simple, the main thing that I think we're, we're very often missing the mark on is the fact that it's, it's illogical, it's nonsensical to see how, in, you know, spot inflation prints are, in inverted commas, responding to the latest 75 basis points by the Fed or the latest 50 basis points by the ECB, because it simply doesn't work that way. And I think the thing that we are most concerned about is the fact that central banks, particularly the Fed, is so driven by trying to restore their credibility so much so that they say, well, we continue to lift rates until inflation, spot inflation near is our target of 2%. That's scary because there's a long work through mechanism and inflation today is a picture of, you know, of, of what the conditions were like one, two years ago. So it, it, give us a sense just from your perch in Europe here, how, how are markets discounting the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, in terms of their response and, and maybe what their goals should be? Because, again, you've so many challenges for the European economy, in, including the war in Ukraine and the impact on commodities. Uh, how do you think the central bankers in Europe are thinking about it? Well, we all forget, actually, the fact that around 2020, the ECB actually started a strategic review. And the reason they started a strategic review is they only have one mandate. It's not a dual mandate. And that mandate is inflation, full stop. Yep. And they had not been successful in getting inflation 
to the level they wanted. It was always too low. And suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, we've got the reverse problem. And the point is that, you know, the, the problem was actually much less complex then when they were already doing a strategic review. Now it's far more complex. And I think the issue is really well summed up by the fact that on one hand, it's more hawkish behavior. Uh, QE has only recently just ended, actually. Um, rates are obviously going up. On the other hand, you've got this, you know, this mechanism to protect southern Europe, which you could argue is nothing more than a sort of yield spread mechanism. But that feels like hitting the accelerator and the brake at the same time. And I think that sort of sums up the troublesome situation in Europe and, you know, what, yeah, the, the murky picture that the ECB is trying to deal with. Murky is a great word to describe what the ECB has has to do, is doing, does. Um, I, I don't know where to go with that. When I think about uh, the um, economy in Europe, I'm more concerned about people operating on the ground, especially in the UK where you are. I mean, if you look at financing costs, they're just shooting higher. If you look at the value of the pound, it's dropping like a lead balloon. And imagine what kind of position that puts your average, you know, mid-sized business owner in. Um, he has to buy everything from France, Germany, Italy, and uh, he has to finance in a, in a climate that just makes it almost impossible to survive. That, that must mean a huge recession ahead. And I mean, compounded with that, you know, the, the sort of ripple effects of Brexit, you know, we're still figuring that out. Amen. Talk about just yeah. basic shipping, basic customs, delays, costs. Yeah. I mean, we're still we're still figuring that all out. So it is a to your point for the for the local man, woman on the ground, you know, just trying to do their thing, trying to do their business. It is a really, really challenging environment. The only thing which is sort of odd, I think, sitting in Europe, which we're all trying to kind of get our heads around. On one hand, you've got all of this, which is extremely scary. On the other hand, try and book a restaurant on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah, it's hopeless. Yep. You know, and obviously more in central London that is. But you know, try and book a holiday right during the holiday season. So it's this sort of bizarre situation where it doesn't look like a recession. It doesn't feel like one when you want to go out and you know get hold of a service somehow, or especially in the luxury goods market. I mean, good luck finding a pair of shoes or something. But on the other hand, you've got all these sort of very very scary factors coming together and that's why everyone is talking about a cold winter for Europe because I think the summer period was all about let's just go have fun enjoy the summer of 99 you know close our eyes to all the scary stuff and enjoy the sun right but what happens when the sun goes away or what happens when you book a flight on Lufthansa flying in and out of Frankfurt or Munich tomorrow why you they going yeah. are stranded. They're, of course, they're going on strike. Of course, they're going on because they want. Look, it makes perfect sense to me. I want a ten percent raise, yep. right? Wouldn't you? Sure. If you look at inflation like that, you yep. want you want that. You know, if you got if you want to stop it somewhere, stop it on profit margins. But that's just not as easy to do. Annika, great having you on. Thanks so much for joining us, Annika Trion, there, managing director. She is the head of the Competence Center at Van Lanschut Kempen, the oldest bank in Europe. That's very cool and great perspective uh, getting that from Annika. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's get right to our next guest, Jonathan Hurdle. He's executive chairman, Hurdle, and Callahan, Hurdle Callahan and Company. 
I mean, he's all in Penn State, bachelor degree, MBA, Penn State. Opens the season, I believe, tonight at Purdue. Penn State is a... I think they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. We'll have to see. All right. John, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, Boy, you've been in this market a long time. You've seen the cycles. Even longer than Paul. Even longer than me, and that's saying (laughs) something. What do you make about our current environment right here? Well, good morning, Matt and Paul. It's nice to talk to you again. Uh, You know, I think we're still in the echo effect from the the COVID crisis, and so it's going to take us a while to work through here. We had this period of time where we had $6 trillion dollars of fiscal stimulation while we had the most uh, flexible and supportive monetary policy in history. And there's a lot of ramifications for that. So that's what we're going through right now. We had, you know, we have more than full employment. You think about the Fed having a dual mandate, full employment and contain inflation. Well, we have more than full employment. We've sort of overshot this. And so now they're focused 100 percent on inflation control and you know, we saw that with the chairman's uh, commentary. I'm actually in Jackson Hole right now, still out here. So, nice. um, you know, it was a, um, you know, very clear message from the chairman. And uh, that's what the market's reacting to right now. What do you think about um, their willingness to hold firm? I mean, especially if we start to see real job losses, you know, real families who all of a sudden can't finance their American dream lives. Um is the Fed going to continue to put them out of work on purpose in order to retain, drain in inflation? Well, it's, it's, that's the dynamic. How much will employment, where they're going to look at that unemployment number? And, you know, the risk is that they overshoot. We overshot in the pandemic, and that was un- understandable because I, I really think it's hard for people that you need to turn back the clock. And what was it like two years ago and how frightened everyone was? And we didn't know we were going to have a a vaccine. But, Jonathan, you make the point that we had six trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus. I mean, remember when TARP was unbelievably huge? That was eight (laughs) hundred billion. Six trillion dollars is absolutely Looney Tunes. Six trillion. And by the way, you know, you have to give Larry Summers credit because he said we were trying to fill a two trillion dollar gap with six trillion dollars. So there was that the governments tend to overreact. They're very not very good at fine tuning. And so they overreacted. They put six trillion at the same when the Fed was being aggressively flexible and supportive. So that combination in retrospect um, is unprecedented. But we were facing unprecedented times. And to look backwards, this is a classic kind of a behavioral economics problem where we think it was more predictable than it was at the time we look back global pandemic world's coming to an end we've got to be dramatic we were too dramatic in retrospect so what is a good investor supposed to do today what are you telling your clients do you do you have to be all macro all the time by the way john yes i mean <laughs> i know you, you, well you, we, you know Jackson macro Hole, right yeah so i mean if you look at allocations that's going to control about 93% of the variability in performance over time. So your allocation is most, unless you've got a concentrated position in 10 stocks. But if you're a traditional investor, you still want to be overweight stocks because bond rates are rising. And so we want to be short duration, relatively short duration, fully invested and patient here. All right. So are there some sectors here that we should be focusing on? Um, do I need to get... Or do you want to be fully diversified? Yeah, or do I want to be fully diversified here? I I want to stay fully diversified, but personally, because inflation is rising, I want to be with the companies 
the secular growth companies that have real pricing power. The best hedge against inflation over the long run is a diversified equity portfolio because the managers can pass through the inflation increases in pricing. But you want to be with the companies who can do that. So on the margin, not dramatically, but on the margin, I want to be with those high-quality growth companies who have pricing power. By the way, we just got a minute left, but I'm looking at your resume. We see that you went straight out of the Marines to Goldman Sachs. And nowadays, you know, Goldman Sachs, the kids there are making videos and posting them on TikTok about how they work too hard and they have to uh, do it from home. They don't want to go into the office. What, What do you think about today's class of bankers, of young bankers? I think Goldman Sachs is a wonderful company. I've been away from there for a long time. Um, but I, I just would say this, that, you know, hard work matters. And, uh, you know, whether they're working too hard or not is you know, deal specific. But we got to that's your apprenticeship. That's where you learn your, learn your trade. And the people are going to work hard and smart are going to succeed. So, you know, I realize I also think that you mentioned uh, earlier that we're getting people coming back to work. This yep. is another part of that covid echo effect yeah it's going to take a couple of years here for people to figure this out but we're going to have people back at work it's good i like to describe it as 2019 new and improved right. i mean we're going to go back to pre-covid but it's we're going to have the ability to work more flexibly from home when we need to because we've all developed that so that's a that's a very yeah. significant improvement in our lives so right. we'll get there all right, John. Great stuff. As always, always appreciate getting your perspective. John Hurdle, Executive Chairman, Hurdle Callahan and Company, and a proud Nittany Lion. All right, let's talk the flowers business. And we talk the floral business, the florist business. We talked to Chris McCann. Who else? He's the CEO of 1-800-Flowers. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here. Just tell us how your company, 1-800-Flowers, how it kind of evolved and was impacted by the pandemic and kind of kind of what's your outlook right here? Well, thank you. It's good to be here, gentlemen. It's been a uh, turbulent couple of years, that's for sure. The, the interesting thing is we break it down into kind of these three categories, these three sectors, pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID. And during the pre-COVID stage, we've been we committed to growing our business, increasing the growth rate from a low single-digit to a double-digit growth rate. We made the appropriate investments there and had achieved that. That helped position us well for then the unprecedented surge in demand that we saw during the pandemic, uh, where we set record levels in revenue, record levels in profits, record levels in customer customer database. Then we've moved now into the late-stage COVID or, or hopefully post-COVID stage, And as we're coming out of that, we have the comps that we're dealing with, which we're holding on to the business and retaining the business that we gained during the pandemic. But we're doing so in this inflationary environment that's, you know, causing challenges for us on the gross margin line, as it is so many retailers. Well, and this is why this is why I love having you on, Chris, because it's not just about the flower business. I think your business is representative of a lot of companies that have grown really successful brands, um, you know, uh, businesses that thrived during the lockdowns, but now are going to have trouble maintaining the same growth in the face of higher labor costs, higher energy costs, um, you know, supply chain issues. Where do you see, uh, or do you see any kind of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of that? I'm sure you've got people who want to be paid more. Um, delivery costs must be higher and higher as gasoline, although they're coming down again, but gasoline prices went up. Um, uh, and, you know, you, you've got to be getting these flowers from all over the world. 
Yeah, so we'll certainly see great opportunity in front of us. You know, what, you know, even as you pointed out, people, you know, the challenges against comping against the record years that we had, we still grew for the year 4% over last year, which was 75% over the year just prior to the pandemic. So it's, and, and we're holding on to that customer base. We're holding on to that higher revenue stream. So now we're dealing with the unprecedented cost pressures that came in, and we're mitigating those as fast as we can. Good news is we're starting to see, as I just heard you report, we're starting to see more and more indicators that the inflation is easing. We're seeing ocean freight rates drop. We're seeing labor moderate and availability of labor getting better. So we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But in addition to that, we're making sure that we're making the investments in our business for the future. We're spending money to automate our facilities, our distribution centers, spending money to build inventory early and bring inventory in early to make sure we're helping with our labor challenges that we have. So, you know, a company like ours, we're not just sitting by and hoping things get better. We're making sure we change our business to meet the current demand today. So what what is it like working in, in this rising rate environment? Do you make sure um, you've got all your financing needs taken care of before rates get out of control? Um, you know, is, is it, I mean, I'm sure you're generating a ton of cash, so it's not that as much of a problem for you as it is for other businesses, right. but you still got to be looking at these rates, right? Oh, constantly. We're constantly in conversations with our banks, making sure that we have the appropriate banking facilities we need for, you know, for right now, for example, ramping up our inventory for the holiday season. So we rely on the appropriate revolver facilities for that to make sure we can do that, in addition to the free cash flow that we're generating. And we're looking to make sure that we continue to grow our business and make the investments for the long term because we see great opportunity in front of us. You know, the world changed with this pandemic. And one of the benefits of the change is that it's made people realize that we need to stay connected to each other and build and maintain relationships. That's what our business does. We inspire our customers to stay connected. So, Chris, talk to us about some of the challenges that you and are facing. I'm thinking labor, number one, you mentioned. Number two, fertilizer. We hear a lot Inflation about that. Inflation costs there, right? Inflation costs there and, you know, supply availability. Talk to us about some of the challenges from the supply side you guys are dealing with. The supply chain for us has been certainly it's been challenging, and it mostly is on the food group side of our business, not so much on the floral side. You mentioned fertilizer itself. That's caused for some of our plant suppliers a challenge, but not, it's not a major challenge. And on the fresh-cut floral side, it has not been a major challenge for us. Again, I think that's Which is because, of, hey, just so people know, it's not just flowers that you're delivering. You also have, obviously, you know, balloons and teddy bears and, you know, melon balls, right? That's what you're talking about. Right. And our, and our food group, which is head, headlined by Harry and David, uh, Cheryl's Cookies, 1-800-Baskets, our newest acquisition we just made a few months ago, Vital Choice, uh, sustainably caught seafood, wild-caught seafood. Mm. So we bring all these different gourmet foods to the table, and the packaging for that is where the supply chain gets disrupted a little bit. So we've made, made, made all of the adjustments when that, that necessary to make sure that we're in a good position for this holiday. And we're looking forward to it. Is the dollar at all, um, you know, a tailwind for you? Does it give you a little bit more strength to have this incredibly strong currency? Or, or, or do you operate um, in terms of purchases mostly in the U.S.? Well, it, it always helps to have a strong currency, but mostly where we operate within the U.S. We import some product from Asia, and that's, you know, caused problems last year. It's looking much better this year, both as far as cost, commodities cost, as well as shipping. Uh, but... I'll always take the tailwind. If, if ever there was a time to buy a British or European company, 
<laughs> Chris, now is it. Oh, I don't know. I look at some of the inflation rates that they're looking at over there. I'm not sure I can jump into that <laughs> post so quick. Hey, Chris, I'm just looking at your stock price chart. It looks like you're one of those, you know, um, victims of the post-COVID period. Yeah, kind of right? a, a pandemic type of stock. You know, people, your stock trade up dramatically up to close to above 35 on during the early days of the pandemic has traded down since. What's kind of the message that you're, you're giving your shareholders? Well, we, we just keep focusing on the, on the uh, core of the business. And again, as we look and we've doubled the size of the customer base in the last couple of years, we've doubled the size of the business overall. We've doubled the size of our passport loyalty membership program. We've significantly expanded our product offering. And when we look at the underlying health of the business, we still see the relationships we're building with the customers, customers' cohorts that are buying from more than one brand coming back more frequently, like two to three times that of the average customer. So that underlying health of the business tells us as we work through this challenging inflationary period, we are an extremely well-positioned company to get back on track from a higher growth rate and a higher profitability rate. You always going to keep the 1-800? I just type in flowers.com when I want to go to your website, but it's obviously 1-800-flowers.com. You own both domains. We own both domains. The brand that we've really built is 1-800-Flowers. Yep. It's a question we it's a question we go through all the time. We want to make sure our brands are always appropriate yep. and relevant for the day that we're operating. All right. Great stuff as always, Chris. I always love getting an uh, update on your business and the retail space in general. Chris McCann, he's the CEO of 1-800-Flowers. FLWS is the ticker to type into your Bloomberg uh, terminal. Uh, always a fascinating discussion. 1-800-Flowers. We all know the brand. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We did get some pretty good ISM manufacturing uh, data this morning. Let's break it down with Tim Fury, the chairman of the Institute of Supply Management. Tim, uh, ISM came in a little bit better than expected, steady with last month. What do you make of it? We beat expectations, and I think, you know, we, this is the third straight month of running about 53, you know, within a couple of tenths. It really feels like we're on a great glide path here. We're not, you know, flying sky high at 60,000 feet, and we're not skimming across the mountaintops. And we're, so we're pretty level. Now, the sub-indexes that go into that PMI indexes are shifting. And, but the shift is off of the positive. You know, we've got manufacturing inventories coming down a little bit. Supplier deliveries are stable at 55. That's an appropriate tension. you got new orders moving back into an expansion environment at not really great rates. But it's the reason they're in expansion is our lead times came down a little bit, maybe to the low single digits, but lead times came down. Prices came down in the last couple of months. So we've gone for three months of suppliers getting easier to deliver to two months of prices easing dramatically to now we're in a month of lead time softening as well as employment expansion. So the month going into September, the period going into September from a production standpoint should be pretty positive because we're able to put people on the factory floor and the supplier materials are flowing better. Um, we saw we, we've been seeing job cuts in Silicon Valley for for months now, um, either hiring freezes or, you know, companies taking out 10, 20 percent of the workforce. Today, we see a manufacturer, 3M, um, going down that road. Are we going to start seeing 
more of that? Do you hear from the manufacturers you talk to that that's on in the cards um, in terms of cost cuts? Well, I think that's what everybody's looking for. That's when we really know that we've slowed down demand when companies start to lay off. I mean, the, the Silicon Valley stuff are not manufacturing people. Uh, you know, exactly, but today we got an industry, an industrial company doing it. For, you know, so that's what's kind of uh, caught my eye is that this is not um, some social media, you know, weirdness. Yeah, correct. But our panelists were eight to one higher to, to force manage, meaning eight, out of nine companies, eight of them are hiring. Uh, and the other one is either freezing or letting themselves a trit out. We actually improved on the quits rate. We had 35% quits rate in the month of July. We're now down to 26, which indicates to me that people are staying in their job more than they were right. a couple months ago. And, and the, the panelists indicated that 11% said that things are getting easier to hire up from seven last month. So we're able to hire and keep people better than we have in the last nine months. And I All think right. that's positive. It's a positive move. And it could very well be because there's a little bit of uncertainty out there. Yep. If I had some tenure at a company, I wouldn't be so inclined to jump. And the uncertainty is not only the economy, but it's also companies' interest in letting people right. work from a hybrid standpoint. Yep. Good stuff. All right, Tim, thanks so much for breaking it down for us. Tim Fury, the chairman of the uh, Institute of Supply Management with some uh, data out this morning, better than expected on the manufacturing front. Let's get over to our chief correspondent for global macro markets. Liz McCormick joins us to talk about um, what we're seeing happen in the fixed income, on the fixed income side of things. Me and Paul are just dumb equity guys, so um, <laughs> it's good to get talk uh, slowly. smart person's take. Yeah, please use small words for us. Uh, you, you have a story out today that jobs, the jobs data that we see tomorrow is potential to push the Fed towards a third jumbo hike, so a third what, 75 basis point hike? What if yeah. if if payrolls beat, right? Right, right. Well, you know, even like you saw the ISM numbers today, the sub-index on employment showed it was, you know, decently holding in some strength. So if if the jobs number comes out, especially if it beats, like you said, I mean, I, if the data just seems to be building that shows the Fed has room to keep rising. Inflation's still a problem. Powell has said, I think the economy can withstand it. So while we get these numbers that kind of back that up for him, it seems to bode for that them going 75 basis points the next time. So, yeah, there's a lot of eyes on payrolls tomorrow. You know, Vince Signorella, uh, Bloomberg, uh, has a, a call here that basically the market's taking care of itself. It's taking care of inflation. And as a result, the Fed is should and is likely to pause after this next rate hike. And that in and of itself is, is bullish for risk assets. I, I don't know. The market's not sure about that. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, the market's in a quandary, right? Um, there are some that were saying, yeah, Fed's got to slow down. There's a decent amount that say, hey, the Fed can get the funds rate to maybe a little under 4%. And then, like Vince says, they got to kind of slow down, pause. And then there are others that even our Anna Wong, I keep bringing her yes, up at Bloomberg absolutely. Economics, she says Fed goes to 5%. Oh, the folks at Bridgewater have said Fed goes even higher. So, I think we it's like I hate to say it, but the truth is in the data. Does inflation really keep, you know, rolling over? Does the economy start to falter or not? You know, there's a lot of data the Fed's gotta sift through and decide. But they there there is a lot saying if they do another seventy five bips that maybe they have to at least slow down the pace, you know? Um but we have to see, right? But what about turning around? Yesterday, Mester said, you know what? In my opinion, we're not going to cut in twenty twenty three. And that was kind of the, the Fed's message at Jackson Hole that 
to the market like, hey, guys, seriously, we're not going to cut next year. We're going to keep raising and then we're going to wait until inflation comes down. Kashkari has been extremely hawkish. And then yesterday, Rich Miller had a piece out saying Powell is now aiming for something much more painful for the economy. Somebody wrote in to me and said the idea that one of the most powerful arms of the U.S. government is purposely aiming for pain. They're trying to put American people out of work. They're trying to raise unemployment is absolutely insane. If you see jobs starting to miss, if you see unemployment starting to go to 5%, don't they have to cut? Isn't the political pressure too strong? Well, you know, that's what Elizabeth Warren would say. She's been out saying, you know, we're worried about the Fed is going to crush the economy, jobs, that's terrible. But the other argument, and I have to say I kind of lean to that, is what Powell's saying is, you know, kind of inflation is a, let's call it a cancer, a tax on everyone, that if that lasts and is strong, that's worse than, sadly, some people losing their jobs. So it's a bit of a push-pull that the Fed, of course, would love a soft landing, but I think, you know, through the months, Powell has kind of moved so, away from the hope. Well, but Liz, what's the idea, what's the consensus on how great a tool monetary policy is to fight supply-side driven inflation? Well, of course, that's a lot of people say not a good tool at all, right? So then um, what's the point? Well, the Fed will say, well, if we slow down, we can we can affect what we can. That's demand, right? And let's say the supply stuff, they have limited control over. The Fed has admitted that. But if they slow down demand, they'll, they'll slow what they can. So, yeah, so if, if the supply issues and the Sadly, with the war and the energy crisis in Europe, if all that energy sector, all that remains sticky with inflation, then the Fed may not be able to bring down that arm. But maybe, sadly, maybe it's going to crush the part that they can, which is, you know, demand and, you know, from the U.S. consumer. So I guess that, you know, the feeling is they've got to do what they can. But you're right. I mean, they and I think they've admitted that they can't control everything. But they, I think if they right. sit on their hands, they. They're in big trouble. Liz, enough of this macro stuff. I'm looking at the global ag here down basically 20% from its highs, right? And this month, we're just starting September today, Paul, huge month for issuance. Um, What's going on on the ground in the real, you know, financing markets? Well, first of all, companies need money, right? And summertime is usually a lull for issuance, not a good time. So they tend to come in after the summer's over. So so they need some funding. And as bad as things are, and it's pretty brutal where the ag has been, like you said, um, if rates are only going higher, you would kind of like want to get, get in some now. Fixed, yes, get some fixed rates. Three and a half may not be as bad as uh, four and a half in a year. I don't know where it's going, but... I think that's the thing. You, you, they need a certain amount of financing. It looks like rates are just, at least for a while, going nowhere but up. So try to get in there when you can. All right, Liz, good stuff. As always, Liz McCormick, Chief Correspondent, Global Macro Markets for Bloomberg News. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.